All right, we, we have been looking and we'll continue to really dig down into this understanding and application of the true gospel of grace. It is so critical in the early stages of a church plant that foundations get built properly on Jesus Christ and on, on how Jesus thinks, how he operates. And we want to build on Christ and the kingdom of God. And this gospel, this good news of Jesus and the kingdom and this thing in Acts 20 called the gospel of grace. And so um, it's amazing the degree of mixture that's in the church right now um, across the world. Basically, the American culture is a performance-based culture. And so our disposition, our predisposition is religion. It's performance. It's contractual. What you, you, know, you, you get what you deserve, you get what you pay for, and it's all about earning, deserving, working for something. So the entire culture has been built on performance. Would you all agree with that? And so it's all about how you look. It's all about your personality. It's all about your education. It's all about you know, how many people like you. It's all about your, your performance at work. It's all about how much money you have. You know, it's all about how many toys or gizmos you own. It's all about how, much, how many widgets you produce. It's all about what people think about you. It's all about how many people like your Facebook page. It's all about performance. And every single commercial we see, every single input we get, almost always from the world, is an input around this is what you got to do in order to get loved and accepted. So the very culture of the world is performance oriented. Every single religion has been built on something you've got to do to get yourself improved or better or pleasing to God. Every religion is that way. And if you, you, know, if you do comparative studies of religion, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't be a Buddhist and not understand how, that you are trying to do something in order to get enlightenment. You can't be a Hindu without performing and doing something to you that you can reincarnate into a higher life form. You, you, you've got to be a Muslim. You have got to submit and obey the rules and subjugate other people who aren't obeying the rules. If you're going to be a Mormon, you've got to keep a temple record. And you've got things that you've got to do to deserve, you know, higher places of, of stature in the eternal realm. If you're a Jew, you've got to keep the law and all the sub-laws that they've come up with in order to be pleasing to God. You tracking with me? All right, now, there's this other brand of Christianity called the Christian religion. And we are just as susceptible to this deception as every other religion. So the church is mixed in America and it's mixed in Europe and it's mixed worldwide actually because if you go to India you'll find a lot of brands of Christianity that are highly involved in performing. You'll find that same uh, dynamic in Asia as well. It's a highly intense performance-based culture. So in America we've been so satiated in our culture that we have lost the ability to detect what's Jesus and what isn't. And most of us in the church in America, we start off by hearing you're saved by grace through faith. 
You know, so just accept we're saved by grace through faith. And most people in America have heard that your initial salvation, getting out of hell and going to heaven, is through grace. We're, we're Reformed evangelicals. So, we're, we're, you know, we're not Catholics. We don't think we have to do penance. We don't think we have to earn. We've broken away from the Catholic Church. So initially we think, you know, we've been taught, okay, by grace I've been saved. All I have to do is receive Jesus. I'm going to heaven. And that's true. But here's the thing, that after that moment, here come the rules. And if you really want to get like Jesus, if you really want to please God, then there, now here we go. There's these, the 50, 60, 70, and we just start stacking upon the rules and regulations that we've got to do in order to be pleasing to God, to be righteous before God, and to be accepted into the group. You've got to look a certain way. You've got to learn the lingo, the jargon. You've got to know what to do and how to perform. And religion is extraordinarily confusing because everywhere, every church you go to, there's a new brand of religion that you've got to learn all the language to do, all the language for. You're tracking with me. So every brand name of the Christian world has its own religious culture and verbiage and jargon and ways of behaving and acting that you have to do to get in and accepted. And I've been a part of a lot of those different organizations and groups, and I love them all, okay? There's not, but I'm just trying to say that God is trying to do something super exciting and very dynamic right now in the body of Christ globally. And that is he's trying to reintroduce the church of Jesus Christ to the gospel of the kingdom, to the gospel of Christ. And he's trying to dissolve all these brands of Christianity that we've invented in order to be accepted by God and accepted by people. And he wants us to be on one theme, and that's Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, and the grace of God. These are huge things in the Bible. This is the whole focus of the Bible, is Jesus Christ, his kingdom on earth, done by the grace of God. And so now we've got to reread re the Bible with a proper lens. How many of you know that you have a lens by which you read or by which you see life? Everybody understand? A lens, a lens, the point of a lens is to bend reality. It's to, it's to, it's to uh, bend light or focus on light. You're actually not supposed to see the lens. The lens is supposed to help us view life properly. But all of us have smoky lenses, distorted lenses that warp the way God views life and the way we view life. All of us read the Bible with a lens. You can't not do that. So over time, the Holy Spirit helps us get a clear, clean, pure, pristine, beautiful lens by which we can read the Word of God. But I remember, you know, in the early days, I came to Jesus in 1971, the Jesus Movement. And um, it was a good, solid, Bible-based evangelical move. But a year later... I got baptized in the Holy Spirit on a golf course working out for college football one night. I was doing wind sprints. And the Holy Spirit dropped on me. And I, at first I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. Like I was shaking under the power of God. I come up praying in tongues. I had never heard of anything like this. I was going to a Presbyterian church. Nobody had introduced me to the charismatic movement, the Pentecostal movement. I'm just out there praising the Lord. His voice speaks to me. Drop down, start praising me. And the next thing you know, I go through this healing and deliverance experience and an open heaven before the Lord at 18 years old in Glendale, California. 
Talk about an earth-shaking moment. Thank God I found a charismatic Presbyterian that didn't tell me I was a mentally ill person. And he showed me in the Bible. But I did not, I had been, I'd already read the Bible. I had already read, uh, you know, Mere Christianity and C.S. Lewis. I had already read a whole bunch of things. I was hungry for God, but I did not read the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Because the lens, the filter I was in was an evangelical world that had filtered out the, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I get this baptism of the Holy Spirit. I go back to the Bible, and the Holy Spirit's everywhere. Gifts are everywhere. Supernatural's everywhere. Signs and wonders are everywhere. It's like, where was this the first time I read the Bible? Where was this? You know, and, and it was like, oh my word, I got a new set of glasses. All right, now listen to this. I am banking high, a lot on the fact that you've been reading the Bible with a performance-based lens and that you are sus suspect, are tempted into guilt and shame and condemnation because you read the Bible potentially as a rule book of laws that you've got to fulfill. And by golly, sister, if you don't get it done, God is not really happy with you. And he doesn't, he, he may love you, but he doesn't really like you. And so, yeah. Well, I was born and raised Yeah. Uh, and I went to Catholic school, and I learned more about damnation than I did love. Like, mm -hmm. I just came back to God six months ago and was after a seven-year hiatus. Um, and he yeah. squared the face. With but, his, yeah, see? Like, like you were talking about. Yeah. I'm going crazy. And, and so, in a way, you, you're going through deliverance. Yeah. Because there is nothing more hideous than a religious spirit. Because mm -hmm. it's a misrepresentation of what God's really like. This is the kind of people that Jesus ran into all the time. It says they hung millstones around people because they, they misrepresented that God was a good daddy, that he really loved us, that he really forgave us, that he's for us, and that we're in. Because Jesus got us in. And so Jesus had this biggest confrontation with religious spirits, Pharisees. And he actually said, you're a whitewashed tomb. You guys look like you're good on the outside, but in reality, you're rotted dead people on the inside. Furthermore, you're a brood of vipers. You're deceptive and you're dangerous and you're venomous and toxic because what you give is mixture. You don't know how to present God in the pristine perfection of his grace and mercy. You, you add hamburger helper. You add little things that people have to do to please God. And that makes you dangerous. It's like arsenic in your breakfast cereal every morning. You know, you may not taste it. You may not smell it. You may not see it. But in a few weeks, your hair's falling out and you're pretty much on their deathbed in no time. And that's what we've been fed in, in the church of Jesus Christ we have been fed this toxic mixture that has opened up the door to a spirit of offense and judgment and criticism and rejection and division and, and shame and guilt and condemnation. All those things are religious phrases that come from a religious spirit. And beloved, you're here and I'm here today to see the Bible in its beauty and its clarity. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm not going to stop for the rest of my life until... This tribe that, that I help form and lead is detoxed from this spirit of religion and that we're liberated into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is Jesus. And anytime you think you've got to earn Jesus, anytime you think you've got to earn Jesus, 
or get him to like you or do something to like you, you have bit the, you have bit the venomous toxins of religion. And we're going to look at this in the Word. I'm, what I'm saying is purely in the book of Galatians and the book of Romans throughout the New Testament. And we are going to be a gospel-based people. And I realize that in, the, in this new little tribe that has been formed over the last you know, 17 years, 16 years, there's been admixture to our groups in Kansas City, in El Paso, in Laramie, here in, in you know, Colorado. And the Lord visited me not long ago, even though I'm a grace person. And he said, Tim, and he's talking very clear to me. I was in this chair. I was weeping. I was shaking before the Lord. It was during the Daniel fast. And by the way, that's not why he came, because I was fasting. He just decided to show up that day. And he was, he's always in me, but he decided to make it really clear. I'm manifesting my presence, and I'm going to talk to you. And he said very clearly to me, to the degree that you understand and apply the pure gospel of grace will be the degree that I pour my wine, my spirit, through the wineskin of this family that... that I have built, God said, that I have built. And I knew that there was mixture in the house. And he didn't shoot me out. He didn't make, you know, he wasn't like, well, disappointed. He said, but you must communicate the gospel of the grace, the gospel of the kingdom with such clarity and precision. To the, say it, you've got to say it so clear that people will be tempted to use grace as a license to sin. Because if you don't, you haven't said it clear enough. Which is what Paul did. He, he said, he talked about grace so well that people go, well, if that's the case, then I guess I can go out and sin because it doesn't matter. He goes, no, 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 no. Grace is so amazing that it's the power to keep you from sinning and to make you holy. It's never a license to sin and it's never a justification for universalism. So, I want us to read out of Ephesians. And by the way, I took this message to our, all of our leaders across the country and even the world in Italy and in Myanmar. And I'm continuing to take this. And our leaders are now going on a fast track of rediscovering the gospel of grace. One of our leaders is up in Kirkland, Washington, where Costco was formed. It's Norman Marcy Willis. They started out preaching grace, but then they slipped into practical law and they didn't know it. So did I. By that I mean, okay, we're saved by grace, yeah. Now there's stuff we got to do. And basically the perception is, is that if I tell you how you stinketh, if I point out your false self and some of the mistakes you're making, that my truthing you will inspire you to get your act together. And that's what basically leaders are taught. You need to just kind of point out where people are blowing it let them know about it, and then, you know, they'll get inspired to go fix themselves. And that's called making disciples in the modern day performance church. It doesn't work. Your false self belongs on the cross, has been crucified with Christ. You no longer live in your false self. Jesus already answered the problem of your false self. He, he, was, he died your death. So Galatians 2.20, you can write that down. You've been crucified with Christ. Write that on your sheet. I've been crucified with Christ, it says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we start off in grace, but we end up in law. 
and it's been detrimental and damaging to the development of people's lives. We are repenting. We're repenting up in this house. And I am so excited that God interrupted and intervened in this little baby church plant at the beginning of the beginning as a seed form so that what we present to people is not mixture. And we are a baby, little baby, beginning, embryonic church in northern Colorado and southeast Wyoming. And we will grab this gospel of grace to such a degree that the supernatural life of Jesus will be emitting out of us. And people will come to faith in Jesus because they'll hear and see the pure gospel of grace. So this, this, this is an exciting journey we're going on. And it's why God is partnering us with Graham Cook. It's why Graham is coming to our tribal gathering because he's a, he's a, he's a preacher of the gospel of grace. And I make a quote on this sheet. So we're going to start with Ephesians 1.5. Ephesians 1.5. And I know you're going to be tempted to think, yeah, this grace is okay, but we've got a lot of stuff we're supposed to do ourselves. Right? Haven't you been, have you ever thought that? Yeah, grace is good, but you know what? We, we've got a job to do ourselves, right? What is, your, what is your work in the kingdom? What is your job? You do have a job. You are supposed to do something. What, what is it? Believe. <laughs> yeah. Believe. That's what it says in the Gospel of John. You know what your work is? To believe. Is that crazy? Your work isn't to work. Your work is to believe. That's, just, that's the craziest thought on the planet, right? In other words, believe isn't really a work, although Jesus calls it that in kind of a fun way. He goes, hey, you want to know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to believe me. You're supposed to place your faith in me. And I will be a Christian for you inside your spirit from the inside out. Let me just add one, one more thing. I just read a real devastating blog, only it, actually it's encouraging in one way. This person wrote a blog about her husband that had been striving to be good and became a compulsive, obsessive person around reading their Bible and praying and keeping the rules. And the weight of doing all these things finally hit this guy to where he, 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 he thought, I'm still falling short. And finally, he collapsed in a heap of discouragement and condemnation and just quit altogether reading his Bible and praying and said, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with the Bible. I don't want anything to do to this Christianity. I, you know, I've, I've had it. And you know what happened? He got instantaneous relief. So now he's happier than ever that he's not a Christian in his mind. You know why? Because he never really heard the true he never really heard the true gospel. Well, he actually heard the true gospel, but he filtered it out through a mixed grace. So he went under this law keeping, rule keeping. It didn't work because it never will. And he's landed in a heap on a pile, and he's now he's all relieved that he doesn't have to do any of this religious stuff. You know what I'd say to this guy? You're closer to God than you've ever been. One of the greatest days of my life was when I found out I couldn't be a Christian. Okay, wait a minute. Whoa. I got saved at 16, radically followed the Lord, went through college, went through seminary, was a Presbyterian pastor, spirit-filled, radical follower of Jesus, and I ended up in a heap pile of despair and dis discouragement because I realized I wasn't fully pulling it off as a leader in the church. 
and I fell in a heap like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm really a, a fake. I'm a hypocrite. I, don't, I can't pull this off anymore because I was so German-driven, so performance-oriented that I knew I was falling short of the standard. And I fell in a heap of despair. And I was tempted to do what this guy did until I read Colossians 1.27. And it's like, here's what it says. It says, Christ in you is your hope of glory. And then the Lord took me to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. I said, whoa, you mean I can't be a Christian, but Christ inside of me can be a Christian? And the next thing you know, I placed my faith in the indwelling Christ and I was born again again. <laughs> Only this time, there was a purity of the gospel that I, I, I realized it's not about me, it's about Jesus. I had been so focused on my performance, on what I was doing, that I condemned myself. And the Lord goes, since when was the point to focus on you, Tim, and your performance? The focus is me in you. And wow, man, I was like doing my happy dance. I went, I can't be a Christian. I can't be a Christian. And I started telling people, I can't be a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I can't. I said, I'm not a Christian. I said, I can't be a Christian. And they were like, what has gotten into this guy? And then, of course, I would set him up and I'd say, but the good news is Jesus can be a Christian inside of me. And when Christ forms and expands himself in me, then he takes over and he, and he lives his life through me. The next thing you know, it's all about Jesus shining out of me and that the fruit of the Spirit's coming out, the wisdom of the Spirit's coming out, the power of the Spirit's coming out, the revelation of the Spirit's coming out, and I'm a lot nicer guy because Jesus is living his life through me. And I'm not working. He is working in me. And I'm, I'm now tapping the supernatural influence of the indwelling Christ. Do you understand? This whole Christian life is supernatural. I didn't get that part. I was supernatural at, at, self, at new birth and then it became natural me and my, my efforts for the next, you know, whatever it was, 15 years. And the Lord goes, hold on, excuse me, the whole thing is supernatural. The whole thing, not, there's not an ounce of life that isn't supernatural. Since when did any of it was natural? It's like, oh my gosh. You mean I'm even sustained by your word? I get up every morning and drink a glass of water and breathe a new breath because of you are sustaining me with your word? You mean the whole thing's supernatural? Well, in that case, I better change my lens. Everything is supernatural. Everything. Not one thing is outside of supernatural influence of God. So we've got to give up this notion that it's a little bit of Jesus and a lot of me. Like, what? No, 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 no. It's all Jesus, and I get to come inside of Christ, and He and me, and I get to live this supernatural life. Is that good news or what? The other one is not so good. The other one is get your act together, sister. Come on, brother. Step it up. And that's not such good news. The good news is, that Jesus Christ is grace and we can trust in Him. And He will live His life through us. So Ephesians 1.5 uh, Are you ready? Let's read this. For He chose us in Him 
I mean, verse 4 actually. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. So guess what, people? You were pre-existent in another transcendent realm into eternity. You existed into eternity. He chose you before the outside of time, before the beginning of time. You are a, you are a spirit being who existed before your birth. Ah, that got mystical. What's that? That's why I'm so wise. Yeah, okay. In love, in everybody say in love. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Now that word sons is not a gender word. All you women are sons, and I'm the bride. So there you go. He adopted us through Jesus as sons in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Whoa! We're going to praise him for his grace into eternity, which he freely... Wait a minute, did you have to earn that? Which he freely gave us in the one he loves. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. There it is again, pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when, uh, when the times will have reached their fulfillment. What is that? To bring all things in heaven and earth under one head, even Jesus Christ. I'm going to take you to one more verse in Romans. Romans 5. Go, go left, back into Romans. And I'm going to start at verse 15. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to have you repeat a few verses after me. Romans 5, verse 15. But the gift, and everybody say gift. Okay, the word gift is a big word. It's the word, for, the word in the Greek, charis. It's also the word for grace. Charis is the word for grace, the word for gift, the word for thanksgiving, and the same word for joy. It's all the same root. Charis. It's where we get charismatic movement. It's where we get charismatic person. Charis means grace. It means joy. It means gift. And it means thanksgiving. It's all the same root. Huh? C. Yes, that's what the C. That's transliterated. The Greek is a different kind of squiggles. But charis is C-H-A-R-I-S. Okay, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, okay, now, every one of us died in Adam and Eve, yes? When Adam sinned, we all died, correct? We, are, we came into the, the sin of the first Adam. So the trespass was opened up by our parents, Adam and Eve. So, if we all died through Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. 
So Adam and Eve opened the door to sin. We identify with the first Adam. Now God says the last Adam comes along and God places us in the last Adam. So if you were in the first Adam, which you all were, you can all relate to being a fallen creature, God placed you into the last Adam and the last Adam died your death. You died in Christ. It's called the identification. And you switch your identification from the first Adam to the last Adam. This is very critical. If you can identify with the first Adam, then you can identify with the last Adam. That's why it says in Galatians 2.20, I, Paul says, you have been crucified with Christ. If you sinned in the first Adam, you also died in the last Adam. Does that make sense? Very critical you understand this. Theologically, biblically, get new lenses. You died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. You were raised with Christ. You ascended with Christ. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Your spirit, if, you're, if Christ is in you, your spirit is now in heaven with Christ. You are in the presence of God now in Christ. How's that for blowing your gasket? Okay, Ephesians 2. This is coming in Ephesians 2. Okay, so here, here's what I... Let me, let me back up again then. How many of you know... How many, do you understand when the Bible says that you were in Eve or in Adam? No. All right, that, okay, perfect. That's what I thought. Okay, thank you. Okay, no. Okay, can you identify with the Adamic race as a woman? The Adamic race, the Adam, Adam and Eve. Can you identify with the human race? Oh, yes, sorry. Are you a human being? Yeah, I lost my There you go. You got that part? Yes. You're a human being. And when you were born as a human being in your body, were you born into a fallen state, a sinful state? Oh, yes. yes, absolutely. You know why? Because you're a descendant of Eve. You got birthed into a, into a human race that was fallen. So you can relate to that, right? Yes. Lustful, selfish, religious, performing, all those nasty things that the human race has done, you have done them or thought them or whatever. Yes? Yes. Got that? You are a human, a fallen human, and you can identify with all fallen humans, and you, the, open, the door that opened of that sin came through the first Adam and Eve because they made a bad choice. Okay. Got that? Yes. You're in Eve. And Eve is in you. You're a human being. Now, here's what God did. He culminated the story of the human race in what he calls the last Adam. And in the Bible, Jesus is literally called the last Adam. What a statement. So there was the first Adam in the garden who blew it. Then he brings along the last Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. Yes, that's it. That's what I love to see right there. That's the greatest moment for me as a teacher right there. Sorry, I'm just breaking all the Catholic bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So God says, I'm going to send a human being. Here's the difference with this human. He's, he's God and man at the same time. Okay. So he's the Adam without spot or wrinkle. He's the lamb without spot or so, Because the only one qualified to die your death is a perfect Adam. Because a fallen Adam could only die for himself. But a perfect Adam could die your death and the death of all the human race. 
Oh my gosh! So God, in His He says, if I can put you in the first Eve and the first Adam, I can put you in the last Adam. He is the final answer that God set up to, to deal the death blow to sin and to pay the price of the wrath of God, the justice of God. See, God had to look on that sin and go, I can't let it alone. I can't act like it didn't exist. This is creepy what you did. There's a payment for this. I can't, the wages of sin is death. There's, this is bad. And there has to be a payment for this sin. So he sets up the whole Old Testament with, you know, killing goats, killing cattle, killing this, killing that. What's all that about? It's a foreshadowing of the death of Jesus. Mind blown. So Jesus is, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, only the lamb without spot or wrinkle. How's that? He's the perfect lamb. So all that Old Testament stuff is all pointing to Jesus. Oh, is this fun? Yeah, so Jesus... God says, guess what I'm going to do? I am going to take all of you and put you in Christ. You were in even Adam, now I'm going to put you in Christ. So when Christ dies, you die. Your false self, your fallen self is in Christ. And when Christ goes on the cross, you went on the cross with Him. Because He put you in Christ. It's called identification. You identify. You become one with Him. He, if, if you were one with Eve, you are one with Christ. Now, is that crazy? You're one with Eve, right? You know oneness with Eve. Like you and Eve are creeps. You and, Eve, you and Adam are creepolas. You're either unrighteous or self-righteous. So one way or another, you stinketh. Alright, so you get the first Adam. Now God says, okay, there's only one hope for you. i got to put you in Christ. And when this happens, you watch what's going to happen. When Jesus died, all the wrath of God, all the justice of God came on Christ and not on you. Came on Christ as the representation of the human race. And so he died. And when he died, you died on the cross. When Christ was buried, you were buried. Why do you think we do baptisms? Baptisms are a symbol that I've been died. I died with Christ. I go into the ground. The water symbolizes I go into the ground. Is that crazy? Oh, they told me they were taken off the fires of hell. No. What's going on here is that you are buried with Christ. So when you're immersed in the tank, when you're immersed in the water, that's that's the symbol that you've died with Christ. Then you get raised with Christ. The, the, the tomb could not hold him. The power of the Holy Spirit infused his body. And he, was like, he went to hell on your behalf. He died your death. All the wrath of God land. That's why he says, God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God did forsake him. God could not look upon his son when he became sin. He was separated from God for those three days in hell. That's hell, the separation from God. Then... In comes the breath of God. Bam! His body gets a new... His body gets raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. And then he ascended. He ascended into the other realm, the heavenly realm, and now he's seated it in, heaven, in heavenly places. And it says in Ephesians, and we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Your spirit is one with his spirit, and you are now a daughter of the Most High God, 
And you are capable of ruling and reigning on the earth and bringing his, his kingdom on earth. You are now a little Christ. You are a fun-sized little Christ, and that's where we get the word Christian. It means little Christ. Does it really? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, you're making my day. You're no, 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 no. You're making my day. Okay, cool. I was like, I was no, no, no. You. This is like for me, a, a teacher. Watch this. Is like the ultimate moment. Oh, I'm okay, good. Cry, 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 because this is worthy of crying. So he goes, and verse 16 of Romans 5, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, you're no longer in condemnation. So in the Old Testament, you had the, the, there was the ministry of condemnation. And here it was. Hey sister, here's the Ten Commandments. Are you keeping them? No. Well then you sucketh. And, you are con and you're condemned before God. Get busy, start keeping the commandments. I can't keep them. That's all right. Keep trying, keep trying. And the role of the commandments was to teach you that you can't do the commandments and you need Jesus. That's what it calls a taskmaster, to drive you into the arms of Jesus. God visited he made a chosen people, the smartest people on the earth called the Jews. He said, here's ten commandments. Go do them. They're perfect. They're pure. You know what? They couldn't do them. The smartest people on earth couldn't do the ten commandments. And God says, listen here people, you need the, the law on your heart. You need a person to come and live inside you. You need to become possessed by the, by the Messiah. The law drives the, is supposed to drive the people into the arms of Jesus. Not to condemn. So in the Old Testament, the law was to condemn. Now we're in the New Testament. God is no longer condemning you. He's no longer judging you. He already took His judgment out on Christ. He already condemned you through Christ. There is no more shame. There is no more condemnation. There is no more judgment. There is no more guilt. Why? Because all God sees when He looks at you is Jesus. And you are the righteousness of Christ. That's what it says here. Now we have the ministry of righteousness. I get to tell you that God sees you as righteous. I don't get to condemn you. I get to tell you the good news that you're no longer condemned, but you're made righteous by in Christ. You are the righteousness of Christ. You are as right to God as Jesus. Oh my gosh, why? Because you're in Christ. And if you hear a voice of condemnation and accusation, that is hell. That is a religious spirit. Hell, the, the word diabolos or devil means slanderer or accuser. So he's still wandering around trying to find his daughters and sons that will, will listen to him, condemn them. And the only power hell has is lying. That's the only power hell has is to lie. So that's why he's called the father of lies. So hell comes along and says, hey, I want to point out some residual 
habits of your old man. And I'm going to condemn you and I'm going to accuse you because here's where you're blowing it. You are a creep. You are not right before God. And you know what your answer is going to be? What's your answer going to be? Deborah is going to be, uh, Deborah has it, go to hell. Sweet little Deborah would say, go to hell. I'm under the blood of Jesus. I have been made righteous through Christ. My answer to your accusation is, get thee behind me, Satan, because I've been accepted by Christ, by His blood. He has died my death and shed my blood, and I am now right before God through Christ. And my behaviors aren't the final answer. My attitudes or behaviors. I am been placed in Christ. And yes, I'm maturing in Christ's likeness, but I am in Christ, so go to hell. I'm a daughter of the Most High God. And you, you wash off that spirit of accusation. And as I've, I gave a message to the women up in, the, in, in Laramie uh, the other day about returning to the original Eve, that God bought us so that we could go back to the original Eve, and she's amazing. And um, before the fall, her capacities were off the charts, what she could do. Eve is amazing. And so uh, I said, listen, women, psychologically, they profiled women th throughout the world, and it's not good. The conclusions are not good. Most women are struggling with low self-esteem and condemnation and guilt and, and weariness, and, and it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant to be a woman today because of how, how the hell has elevated one kind of woman to, you know, to be a certain way, and every woman says, I've got to compare myself to that woman. It's very evil what hell has done to women. And the answer is coming in Christ and knowing that you're the beauty and radiance of Christ and letting the radiant beauty of Jesus shine out of you and to not compare yourself to any other woman, but to know that you're beautifully and wonderfully made, that you're a daughter of the Most High God, that you are a, that you are a daughter who can rule and reign on the planet and bring the kingdom of God wherever you go. You're a new species. You're not even of the first Adam or first Eve who fell. You're now been restored back into not a distorted image bearer, but a perfect image bearer, and you are called to bring the kingdom wherever you go. Eve and Adam. You now are under the authority of Christ. You're in a little Christ. Christ is in you and you have the capacity to rule and to reign and to bring His kingdom on earth. That's your assignment. To be a son of God adopted into the family of God and then out of the position of being in the family of God you bring the kingdom of God on earth through the grace of God. All this is supernatural. All this is grace. Notice it says, we receive God's abundant provision of grace. Okay, now let's just, let's just say this. Let's just read this together. If Romans 5.17, one more time. Because the Word of God has power, and God is trying to transform your mind right now out of a religious mindset and a filter and into the gospel of the kingdom. Into the gospel, the good news of grace. Say verse 15, uh, 17. For if... By the grace of the one, by the excuse me, if by the trespass of the one man, read it with me out loud, death reigned through that one man. Okay, say death reigned, right? How much more, read it with me, will those who receive 
God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. How are you going to reign in life? Through Jesus Christ, who, who gives you the gift of righteousness. Now, how do you reign in life? When the devil tells you you're not righteous, you answer back, I am righteous. I am the righteousness of Christ. So you can't reign in life under condemnation and shame and guilt, right? You're under condemnation. The worst thing most women and men are under is, the, is condemnation. Shame and guilt. Condemnation, shame and guilt will hamstring you at every level. Spiritually, psychologically, solically, and physically. Condemnation, shame, and guilt are lethal. They're toxic. It's called negativity. Negativity is lethal and toxic. Most women are going around going, I suck, you know, compared to that lady, I'm not pretty. Compared to this, I'm stupid. I'm this, I'm a failure, I'm not a good mother. And women all day long are bombarded with negative information from hell. Yes? And from the spirit of the world. You're always seeing how you don't match up. You're always seeing where you fall short. All day long you're being pulverized by negative information. And so are men, by the way. But it's even worse with women, in my opinion. For a lot of reasons I won't get into right now. You live under a massive guilt trip. A massive conspiracy from hell to rip you off and to destroy your life. Every second of every minute, hell is trying to get you to feel like crap. And every minute of every hour, the Holy Spirit's trying to convince you that you're a daughter of the Most High God. So you are a pawn in a big massive war. And the worst thing hell wants is a woman who believes the gospel of grace. You believe the gospel? You believe what God says about you? You believe the truth of how God sees you? You start recognizing that you're the righteousness of Christ? That you're a daughter of the Most High God? And you start radiating the life of Jesus and bringing the kingdom on earth? Oh my God, sister, you're about to change the planet. And hell does not want that at all. So he's trying to resist every man and every woman from operating in the revelation of sonship. And to see it, look in Romans 8. It says, the Holy Spirit tells your spirit that you're a son or a daughter of God. And I've referenced that in the Bible reading. You should read, go home and read Romans 5 through 8. It'll mess you up if you put on the right glasses. If you take off the nasty religious glasses and put on the real glasses called the, and use the Spirit, and the Spirit of God will change the way you view this Bible, this is a love letter getting, trying to introduce you to the concept of living in an unbroken communion with Jesus. That's what this book is. It's a love letter. It's a promise. It's a good news, it's a good news book, not a bad news book. New glasses, people. Change your life. You'll never be the same again. Ever, ever, never. And we aren't going to... This church really won't officially start until we get the gospel of grace into our spirit. We're probably... Have, or maybe just starting last week or today. Really, even though we've been hanging out for a, week, you know, a year or two or whatever, 
we are still a baby group that's going to be birthed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God wants this group to be pure supernatural. Pure grace. Not any hamburger helper. Not any effort of man. Not any striving. Not any attempt to do this thing out of a pressure of works. He wants a supernatural, spirit-filled, heaven-centered people. Christ-centered, heaven-living people. We will bring heaven to earth because we are positioned in heaven to earth. We're not, you know, we're living, we're, we're living from victory, not for victory. Because it's already been done. See, most believers think I got to do, do, do. In reality, it's been done, done, done. So we live from it's been done and from the place of it's been finished and done, now in my status as a daughter or a son, I get to bring the kingdom on earth. And you know how it all happens? You believe this true gospel of grace. And it's not smart to add mixture. Okay, I know. The other shoe's got to drop. You're going to give me the list now. I've got to read my Bible, give money, show up at meetings, be good, be good, be more good. So here's the way Christianity's been defined. Uh, manage your sin. Reduce the amount of sinning. You know, stop being so bad and start being good. If you reduce the bad and increase the good, you're now on your way to being a Christian. Now that sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Stop being bad, be more good. Doesn't that sound spiritual to you? Yeah, except it feeds our pride. That's what caused that young man to fall in a heap of discouragement and condemnation because he was trying to manage his sin. Be less bad and be more good. And he fell in a heap on the floor and said, I don't want any more to do with this roller coaster ride called the Christian faith. Except the problem was, He's not living the Christian faith as is described in the Bible. He's living the Christian religion. He might as well be a Muslim. He might as well be a Hindu. He might as well be a Mormon. Sinking in? Sinking in? The only answer is Christ in you is your hope of glory. Sinking in? I think, it's the, I think it's the worst part of the spiritual warfare. Be, and I'm going to get to that in just a second. Okay, work with me here. Um, grace is connected and essential to fulfill our main purpose. We just read in Ephesians that the main purpose that you are given is to be adopted as a son into the kingdom of God, right? Your main purpose is to be a son of God in the kingdom. Got that part? Then, then that means grace is inseparably linked to your purpose. You can't live your purpose apart from grace. Does everybody understand that? It takes grace to walk out your purpose. So God's primary purpose is that we should be made in His image. He is bringing many sons to glory. That's what it says in Hebrews 2.10. Grace is the tangible, substantial, experiential goodness of God through Christ, it's not a doctrine, it's a reality. God's love and grace are inseparable. He does everything for us because of love, and everything He did for us, He did by grace. Now, I want to go down 
and read Graham Cook's definition of grace. You thought I was going to just starting this message, right? Because I went to the... No, I'm not. Graham Cook writes this. See it at the bottom of the page? All the language around grace has to be rich. It has to be eloquent. It has to contain superlatives. God ties grace to His own nature. And He ties grace to His relationship with us. Listen, grace is not just undeserved favor. If that is all grace is, then Jesus never had any. Because the Bible says He grew in grace and favor with God. If we are only tying grace to something that is wrong about us, there is something wrong about our understanding of grace. Grace is tied to the nature of God. It is not tied to your condition. This is my definition of grace. Grace is the empowering presence of God that enables you to become the person that God sees every time He looks at you. His grace is what makes us acceptable to God in Jesus. Grace combines redemption and forgiveness. It covers our present past beautifully, but it makes us open to the impressive future that belongs to us in Christ. Is that just the greatest definition? Grace is the empowering presence of God that enables you to become the person that God sees every time He looks at you. When God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Christ. You are a daughter of the Most High God. So grace is the empowering influence that helps you walk into the fullness of who you already are. Wow. Alright, when you plant an oak tree, is that little sapling an oak tree? Is that oakness? When the oak tree becomes is a sapling, is that little oak sapling true oakness? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's fully oak. It doesn't have any maple in it. It doesn't have any maple in it. It's not poison ivy. It's oak. Now, when that sapling grows to a massive oak tree, has it changed its nature? No. It's just gotten bigger. It's just gotten more mature. It's matured in what it was intended to be. When you got saved, you got born again by the Spirit. You became instantly a new creation being. 2 Corinthians 5.17 You became eveness before the fall. You went back to your original state with all the capacities of Eve who could see Jesus and walk with Him in the garden. She could rule and reign in the earth. She could make and procreate life. She's a co-creator with God. She was powerful. So was Eve. So was Adam. When you become a new creation being, you are now a new species. God calls you a new species. You're not even a humanoid. You're a new species in Jesus. And now the goal is to grow into the fullness of who you already are. And that's what grace does. Grace transforms you into a new creation being. And God and grace pro- progressively continues you to mature in who you already are. So you never graduate from grace. You need it at birth. And you need it throughout every minute of your life. Grace is the empowering influence of the person of Jesus dwelling inside of you. So we are saved and being saved 
by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says we are saved by grace. And the word saved doesn't mean just get out of hell and go to heaven. Saved means I'm made whole. That's the word sozo. I am made whole into the likeness of Christ by grace through faith. So how do you access grace? How do you, get, how do you access all this? By faith. Now faith isn't trusting in a fantasy. Faith is actualizing or appropriating what already is real. So I use this analogy all the time. You have a real car with real brakes, with a real motor, with a real steering wheel, with a real clickers and lights. And you accessed the power of that car by faith. You got into the car, you turned the key, you pressed the accelerator and you drove. You, you were faithing your way all the way here. You placed your faith in the grace called carness. You got into the car, you committed yourself to the car, and the car served you, but you were faithing the entire way here by, by pressing the gas, by turning the steering wheel, and by avoiding, you know, by playing by the rules. You see what I'm saying? You got here by grace through faith. In the natural. So in the spiritual, you do the same thing. Jesus is already in this room. He's already inside of you. He's extraordinarily supernatural and powerful. All the love, wisdom, revelation, and power of Je is in Jesus. Everything you need is in Jesus. All the money you need, all the friends you need, all the occupations you need, all the destinies and futures you need, all the land you need, all the new houses you need, all the money you need, everything, all the friends you need, all the family you need, all the tribe you need, everything you need is in Jesus. So you access Jesus by faith. You tap that grace by faith. And you appropriate. It says in here, in Romans 5, what do you do? You receive. You don't achieve, you receive. Okay, let's all say that out loud. We don't achieve, we receive the grace of God. Now why is that so important? Because if you add achieve into it, then you get credit. Then you don't give glory to God, you give glory to yourself. So God kept achieving out of the equation. And even in the Old Testament, the priests, when they were ministering to the Lord, you know what? They, they had to wear linen because God would not allow them to sweat. He did not even want them sweating when they worshipped Him because sweating denotes labor, and labor is a curse. We are called to live in the rest of faith. That's what it says in Hebrews. We're not even supposed to work at this thing called a Christian life. We are supposed to have the rest of faith. We faith in grace. We don't achieve the grace. That's why we are saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not because of works. That's what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Now, is this good news? Now, if you have to achieve a present, isn't that kind of a contradiction in terms? If you go out and... If I say to you, you know, hey, look, I've got this great present. It's, it's awesome. So, oh, wonderful. And I say, well, you know, I want you to have it. But if you could just hand over a thousand bucks, now it's really worth ten thousand bucks, but if you could just hand me a thousand bucks, I'd really love to give you this present. And you're going to go, well, you know, didn't that kind of destroy the meaning of present? I mean, isn't a gift, the very definition of gift, mean it's free? 
But now you're asking me for a grand. But it's, but it's worth more than a grand. It's worth 10000 Yeah, but, you know, it's really technically not a gift anymore, right? No, it isn't. Not, what if I said, hey, you know, I want you to have this gift, but, you know, could you just give me a dollar? Does that like just put a little twist on that thing? Like, no, you can have it, but I need a, I need a dollar. Well, you know it's worth 10 grand, but it seems like a fair thing, but you can't technically call it a gift if you give one dollar, can you? All right? The Christian religion is saying God has this gift, but you've got to do something for it too. There's something you've got to do. It's like, hmm, okay, I'll, I'll dig in and, get to, and I'll get busy. I'll be good. I'll sin less and do better. Guy goes, hmm. See what I'm saying? That's the mixture that's in the church. It's got to go. We've got to be built on the grace of God. Now, where's my hand at? I want to just look one more thing for you, and then we're gonna we'll be done. I'm gonna take questions. The focal point then does not become you. The focal point becomes Christ. If you are tempted by hell to, to look at yourself more than five minutes, you're off bubble. That, if that's a construction term for your plumb lines off. If you spend more than five minutes thinking about your performance, you're out of divine order. Because then it's about you and not about Jesus. Here's the paradox. You become what you look at. If you keep looking at yourself, eventually you're going to spin into a cycle of despair. But if you look at Jesus, you're going to become like who you look at. So that's why it says in Hebrews, gaze on Christ. He's the author and perfecter of faith. Faith actually flows from grace. So stop looking at yourself. Um, I want somebody to tell me right now what exactly is the gospel of grace. Pop quiz. No pressure, no performance. Let it rip. What is exactly is the gospel? What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news. What is the gospel of grace? Good news of grace. Good news of grace. But what is grace? <laughs> That's the way I used to answer in my, you know, high school quizzes. <laughs> the gift of BS just came out of you, bro. Just like it comes out of me. You know, that was great. Well, you know, the gospel of grace is the good news of grace. Yes. What does this mean exactly? Kellen, what is the gospel of grace? And what is this gift? What is the gift that you get to receive? A relationship with Him. Love. His presence. What else? Acceptance into His family. Adoption. Do you get a new identity? Is grace include, is it, in the grace package. It's a pretty full service package right here, right? It's a full service proposition. Yes. Ooh. That's a pretty good business deal, right? Yeah. You gave him your, your filthy self, and he gave you his righteous self. 
So it was a, you gave him you, and he got and you got him. That's a good way of putting it. That's a good deal, right? Everybody thinks that's a good business deal. Like I'll give you me, and then I get you. That works good. All right. How will you how will you understand and apply the gospel of grace? How are you going to understand and apply this to your life? What 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 is the practical application of this? You're going to put faith in who? In what? In Jesus. When are you going to put your faith in Jesus? Always. During the morning, during your quiet time, or? Always. Exactly, because grace is a current. Grace is a person. And you don't ever want to disconnect from the person because your entire life, he wants to animate your entire life with himself. Grace is the animating influence. It's the life force of Jesus flowing through you. It's called eternal life. That means it's uncreated life. It's, it's not Zoe life. That's biological life. It's eternal life, meaning it's the life of the Spirit flowing through your human spirit. In other words, you're called to live a supernatural existence every minute of every hour. Religion gets you to be inspired one hour a week or two. And it says there needs to be a holy man in a holy building in a holy hour doing a holy thing in a holy program. In other words, it quarantines, it isolates and compartmentalizes God to a certain set of meetings. But the kingdom is what? 100% of the time, all the time, every second, I'm being animated by the indwelling Christ. It's a way of life. It's, I'm, I am the church. I don't go to church. I am the church. It's a way, I am a son of God. I am in the family of God. Yes? Can you imagine being around a group of people that believe this and live like this? They don't like punch in and punch out? Well, this world, this life is a supernatural life. And that's the only way you can explain Janet Mai's life and all the churches that have gotten established. Jesus planted those churches. Jesus provided money in the inner city, in the nations. I mean, we have a tribe. It's amazing. And Graham Cook showing up and Little Dinko Laramie. I mean, we have favor upon favor. We have favor that has favor. We have blessings that have blessings. You know why? We started believing Jesus. My blessings have blessings. I mean, you know what I mean? I, I know a guy once, he said, my muscles have muscles. <laughs> Never mind. All right, final question, we're going to be done. What does it mean to come boldly before the throne of grace? No shame, no fear. What's that? No hiding. No guilt. No condemnation. Is that what it means? How often should you come before the throne of grace? Quite frequently. <laughs> <laughs> Quite frequently. That was my little British wife just came out. Quite frequently. <laughs> what about, you know, Paul says, I pray without ceasing. Is that an amazing statement? Now, he, he was like genuflecting. Blah, 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 blah. He lived in a state of divine communion and a divine communication, intercoursing with heaven in the spirit world, communicating as a way of life. You never leave the throne of grace. The minute you're outside the throne of grace, you're, you're not where you're, you're not at home. 
Your home is heaven. Your home is grace. So that's why we want to be a people that praise without ceasing. That is the foundation of our uh, uh, Father's house of prayer. We have, we're starting a 24-7 prayer culture in the Rock Tribe. And we have, everyone's taking, the can, an hour of prayer with a partner every day throughout the day. So around the clock, someone in this tribe is going to be praying for us, for you. Around the clock. Is that just the coolest thing? Not out of duty, not out of plaintive pleading prayer. Oh God, oh please come, please, oh God, give us... A, that is a, that plaintive praying is not, that's an orphan prayer and that's not a sonship prayer. We pray from a position of sonship who are already walking in the favor of God and we don't have to beg God for anything and plus we don't have to ask Him to come because He's already here. Hello. He's already living in you. He's already here. We are a revival people. We're already in revival because God's inside of us resuscitated us. So we live in the presence of the Lord as a way of life and supernatural is natural for us. That's who we are as a people. That's the foundation of the plant of the church we're planting here. And it will be based in the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus, of the of gospel of grace. And I want and pray for all of us to be so articulate in grace and we live in grace that we have, you know, you get 12 people that believe in grace and are live supernaturally, you got the you got the core of a pretty dramatic thing. I mean, Jesus had 12 you get 12 people that believe the gospel of grace, the next thing you know, you can change a region. It's not that hard, but it's, it's getting people out of religion. So there's two expressions of, not, of non-grace. And I'll end with this, which I said I was going to end in a minute ago, but I'm going to end now. There's two expressions of non-grace, and it's in your notes. One is unrighteousness. Unrighteousness says, I can just be a heathen and live for pleasure and self-indulgence. And that's going to lead to addictions and condemnation. So that's in your notes right there. There's, when, when, we focus, when our focus becomes ourself, we will fall into self-righteousness. And there's, there's lots of kinds of self-righteousness. One is I'm just going to be a heathen and a pagan, a card-carrying pagan, and do whatever I want. The second one is self-righteousness, it sounds spiritual, but it's actually very dangerous. It says by performing, by keeping the rules, I can be right before God. So, grace is the antidote to both unrighteousness and self-righteousness. It's never an excuse to sin. It's the power to not sin and the power to become like Christ. That's grace. So, you're ready to have a closing prayer? Are there any questions? Let's stand and I'm just going to... How many of you think this gospel is liberating as all get out? This is like good news. This is so exciting. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we thank you for this extraordinary gospel called the grace of God, the good news of Jesus. 
And I pray that now, now the seeds of this truth will infiltrate our spirit man, our spirit woman, and will take root in our heart and will begin to do a transforming work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.